that's our cry tonight. That Lord, while you're calling upon another, that we would not be overlooked in our cries out to you, in our pleas to you. While on others our calling, Lord, do not pass us by. Lord, I love that you never overlook anyone. But that, Lord, your ears and your eyes are inclined, Lord, to the humble heart that cries out to you. Tonight, Father God, as we go into your word and we continue this study of the refiner's fire, more precious than gold, God, would you enlighten our understanding? Would you give us the spirit of truth? I pray that, Lord, everything that is said would be ordained of you, that if there is anything that needs not to be said, Lord, just let it not be said but be glorified from this point onward in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. How's everybody doing? Good. I heard that one. It's like the pastor um, one day was ministering at a church. And while he was finished ministering, he made uh, an invitation for salvation. And uh, so he says, with every head bowed and every eyes, every eye closed, would you bow your head and invited people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And um, he's, he's uh, who, if you're, if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, would you raise your hand and and as he's making that appeal, he said, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. And so following the service, when the pastor went out for lunch with this speaker, he says to him, brother, you know, I was, I was uh, politely shocked at the amount of people that came to Christ today in our congregation. You know, and, and, and he says, well, brother... What makes you so shocked? He says, well, you just kept saying, and I see that hand, and I see that hand. He says, yes, brother. Nobody had actually responded, but he was encouraging the people. He just, I see that hand. I see that hand. It was his own hand that was raised. So when I said, how's everybody doing? I hope you're all good. And I heard the one. Yep. I see that hand. <laughs> I'm with that pastor. I see that hand. We're, we're looking at uh, the refiner's fire and, and um, the, the verse of, of 1 Peter uh, 1 verse 7 that says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're looking at the result of our lives coming through the fire as more precious than gold. And we have been talking about the refiner's fire, and we've been talking about the crucible, which is us for the past two weeks. And tonight we're going to look at, and though I named, I called it how to, um, how to respond to disappointment, it's not just the total essence of it. We're going to look at what it looks like for us 
to be? What is the character that is reflected through us as we are in this refiner's fire? And that's how I came up with the title, How to Respond to Disappointment. Because it's in, it's in our disappointments, and it's, it's in our frustrations. It's in our moment of, oh, why am I always going through this? Why does it always seem to be me that we maybe reflect the least amount of uh, Christ-likeness as in those moments when we are venting? But Psalm 119 verse 71 says this, it was good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn thy statutes. It was good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. I'm sorry, TJ. It's better to ask forgiveness after the fact, but I just remembered I didn't give her that verse. Psalm 119, verse 71. In the fire, when we are in the midst of the fire, the one trait that we are going to be developing is something called meekness meekness and somehow the world tends to look as me at meekness if you were to say wow he's such a meek man somehow the world interprets that as someone who is weak someone who's lesser than someone who's not very not exhibiting much strength or or much fortitude but when weakness is actually exactly that it is strength under control the actual interpretation of the of the word meekness is defined as a wild horse that has become obedient to the bit and the bridle so when you put a bit in a horse's mouth, it's with that bit that you could direct a horse whichever direction you want to go. Now, that's a, a horse that is tame. That's a horse that, that knows its owner. But a wild horse is not a horse that is tamed. A wild horse does not know how to be constrained. But you put a bit in a wild horse, and that is the true definition of meekness. And so when we respond, when we've been in a heated place and we respond under, under life's pressures and we go, why does it always seem to be that I have to face these circumstances? We are as that wild horse. But are we as that wild horse with a bit? Are we navigated and are we controlled by the Holy Spirit's power? Are we controlled by the power of God that those that are watching may see us flail but yet have control? Meekness is something that God desires to show favor on. But what does it really mean to be meek? Is it somebody that is weak? Is it somebody um, that is apathetic? Is it somebody that is beaten down upon? Is it somebody who's passive? Actually, meekness is one who is a warrior. One who is a warrior. One who exhibits great strength. And we're going to see this in just a moment as we look at the life of Moses in one incident um, tonight we're going to isolate on, on one incident where he really demonstrated meekness to us. But James chapter 4, verses 6 to 7 says this, But he gives grace 
more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Here's the thing. We always look, like, we always look at the heat of our lives and the circumstances and the trials and the tribulations that we go through as something that the enemy is bringing upon us. We always like to give the enemy that upper rule, like, oh, the enemy is causing me this. When really, if we were to keep our eyes fixed on God, and we keep our eyes knowing that God is the one who is in control of all things, then we will know that everything that comes into our lives has been filtered by his loving hands. And he has lovingly allowed it so that he could be glorified in it. One time when I was in nursing school, um, we were in the locker room. And I think I shared this example once before, but whatever reason, I'm going to share it again. We were in the locker room. And they liked to pick on me because I, I was the only Christian girl. And, well, I wouldn't say the only Christian girl, but the one who made it known to the others, okay? And um, so they liked to pick on me. And so this one day, they were just really nagging on me. And um, so I just slammed my locker door shut. And, and I muttered something. And one of the gals said to me, Mel, and you're a Christian. I was like, whatever. Like, come on, you press my buttons enough. You're going to get me to, to respond. But you know what? The enemy, see, I just said, we blame everything on the enemy. But he really worked on that with me. Began, uh, the rest of the day, I was plagued with the thought that I wasn't a good example to my friends. Because I lost my cool. I, lo I, lost, I lost my cool. But everything that we go through in life, I did consequently learn the lesson that the Lord allowed that for me to exercise or learn to exercise how to properly respond. But my flesh, not the enemy, caused me to slam that locker <laughs> and lose my cool. We take a stand against um, the enemy by not allowing him to have, you know what? Yeah, that's me who caused it. Not allowing him to have the upper hand. No, I'm recognizing if I'm going through this right now, God is allowing it because he's perfecting me that I may reflect his true image. His true character of who he, who he is. Jesus was spit upon. Did he turn and yell at them for spinning upon him? When Jesus was, was beaten, did he turn and, and, and offer a punch? So in, in reflection of when the enemy comes to attack us, it's so that if God is allowing But Moses, instead of saying, sick it to her, Lord, yeah, put her out of the camp. How dare she talk about me? I am your anointed. You have used me. No, instead of having that response, he sees her as that outcast, that one is that has been put out of the camp, and he has 
a softened heart towards her. God, would you heal her? God, would you touch her? Why? Because he knows what it is like to be that one that experienced the burning bush. He knows what it's like to be that one that is in the very presence of God. And now as grace was extended to him, he's able to say, God, would you heal that one? Even though the anger of the Lord was against Miriam and Aaron, Aaron acknowledges that he and Miriam had sinned. He says, we've sinned. He doesn't make an excuse. Well, you know, we were just kind of frustrated. It had been a long day and the, 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 the sun was hot upon our heads. He'd made no excuse. He acknowledged, we sinned. And Aaron said to Moses, verse 11, O oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. And have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried out to the Lord, O oh God, heal her. How are you responding when, when the heat of the fire gets risen and you're really upset? Are you praying blessings and healings upon your enemy? Are you praying the favor of God upon them? You see, it's the meek that will inherit the earth. Moses was meek. He stood back and he allowed God to operate. He says, heal her, Lord. He doesn't say, I guess that will show you guys who's boss. He doesn't say, take delight. He, he, he doesn't say, you know what? That's it. Now they've learned their lesson. I've won. Now they know who I really am. No, he pauses and he prays for her. He was slow to anger. Slow to anger. Leaning in and trusting God. And what? And while he's leaning in and trusting God, he's doing good because he is praying for Miriam. Right now, maybe you have to pause and think of that one that has really annoyed you today. That one that really got you hot under the collar. That situation, never mind the person, the situation that just keeps getting the better of you. Maybe you just have to pause right now tonight in your heart there in the seat or there in your home or in your office or wherever you're listening, just pause and say, you know what, God? I just want to be a Moses right now and surrender that whole thing to you. I just want to be a Moses right now. And um, God, I want to be still before you. Do good. So Lord, I pray for so-and-so, or I pray for such-and-such such a situation. And then you know what? Stand back and see what God does. Stand back and see what God does. Moses' meek heart sought for their immediate good. The meek man or woman will find no delight in seeing the proud destroyed. How do you know when you're not operating in meekness? 
when you're happy at the price they have to pay. When you're not operating in the character of God is when you're happy at the price they had to pay. The meek man always comes with the desire to bring the person who's in error back to God and restored relationship. The meek person will always want to see restoration. Restoration between them and the individual. Restoration between them and the situation. Restoration in that God is glorified. If you do a personal check on yourself, you will know whether you're operating in meekness, whether you're operating in the spirit of God by how you desire that individual to come out of it. Do you desire them to come out of it in right relationship with God? Do you desire that the spirit of God would have grace and mercy on them and help them to see what maybe needs to be corrected? And I don't mean it in the sense that, yeah, God, so, you know, you see the wrong that they do, God. You correct them. Spirit of the living God who knows all truth, I just surrender the situation to you. Have your way. Have your way. It's a hard prayer to pray, but the right prayer to pray. So Moses was a man who had a fierce temper, but he came under the correction of God. But then you know what happened to Moses later on? In Deuteronomy 32, God brings him to the place that he's going to die, but he shows him the promised land that the children of Israel will go into, that he will not get to experience because he had disobeyed God. If you go to um, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 32, let me just read those verses to you. And it says this, That very day, verse 48, the Lord spoke to Moses, Go up to this mountain of Abram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die on the mountain which you go up, and be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died in Mount Or and was gathered to his people, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. Although Moses was the most meek man in the earth, it did not change God's manner of how to correct when sin is active. Just because Moses in Numbers chapter 12 verse 3 was the most meek man, when he was disobedient to God, he still had to suffer the consequences of his sin and not enter into the promised land. We need to walk in our, in our, in our meekness, but in the heat of the fire, don't let anything cause you to lose sight of what God is calling you to. Meekness for a child of God means accepting 
uncomplainably what comes, knowing that it comes from the hand of God who orders all things. What he sends, and we accept it in faith. Moses here in this passage did not argue with God. But God, all this time I have been with the people. But God, all this time and through all the hardships we have faced, I have led them and I have listened to you. And for that one time, God, I'm not going to get to go into the promised land. Moses didn't even argue it. At least the word of God doesn't tell us that he did. Moses accepted meekness. When you accept as the Lord deals to you, also when his correction comes. Lord, you know what? I know I was wrong. I accept that I was wrong. Lord, I, I, I don't feel good right now coming under your correction, but God, I accept that I was wrong. And you know what? As people are witnessing that, when you're able to say, you know what? I was wrong. I should never have said that or I should never have done that. You know you make it an example to the others. Because they will say, wow, that he was humble enough to admit that he was wrong. Wow, that he was willing to say he should not have done it that way. Wow, that really speaks highly. You know, it shows that you're willing to allow pride to be crucified. What happens in the fire, the crucible submits itself to the fire that all of the drouths comes out. All of the impurities comes out. Not just the things that you're willing but all of the impurities come out. Have you ever been in the place that Moses was in? Have you ever had people speak about you, speak against you, misjudge you, misjudge your motives? Sometimes we want to make the correction. Sometimes we want to vindicate ourselves. But you know what? We need to submit to the Spirit of God. How can we expect people to know our heart? Only God knows truly our heart. Only God knows truly our heart. Meekness trusts that God will be my defense. God will be my defense. He'll vindicate me. If I'm right, he's going to prove me to be right. I don't have to prove myself to be right. Psalm 94 verse 11 says, The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath. Matthew 9, verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Don't expect to explain the motive of your heart to anybody. Don't expect anybody to understand your thoughts. But know this. God knows your thoughts. And God knows your heart. And if you are in the right place... If you are thinking with the thoughts of God and if your heart is in alignment with God, he will vindicate you. When Moses asked God at the burning bush, who, when I go to Pharaoh, who am I to tell them has sent me? Who am I to tell them? What am I supposed to tell them? And, and God says to him, I am that I am. God was saying, Moses, I'm going to be all that you will ever need. 
In the heat of the moment when you want to lose your cool, let meekness be your guide. If you could picture a horse in your mind so that you could, you could imagine yourself coming under the bridle of the Holy Spirit, then so do it. In the, in the moment of the heat, know that God will be all that you need him to be. When the pressure of life gets to be too difficult, know that God will be all that you need him to be. When everything seems to be tight and in a crunch of the finances for that month and it's feeling like how will we ever make it, know that God will be all that you need him to be. Only the meek know and believe that God is everything. Only the meek know that because everybody else wants to help God along. Everybody else wants it. Well, if I, well, you know, um, they say God helps those who help themselves. I don't know who they are, but they are wrong. James 3 verses 13 and 17 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? But his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Meekness is not being a coward. No, it's not being fearful. But in courage, meekness will trust God that justice will prevail. Moses saw with his own eyes the justice of God because God called them where? To the meeting place, the tent of meeting, the place of his presence. And even though it was his own family, Moses saw the justice of God. What about David? We'll just close with the example of David. Here he was, a young shepherd boy. Samuel is sent to his father's house. And Samuel is sent specifically to his father's house because Samuel is told of God that he is to anoint the next king of Israel there. And fast forward, David is called from the pasture after all of his brothers had passed in front of Samuel. Nope, not the one. Nope, not him. Nope, sorry. Nope, nope, nope. And then is there not anyone else? And David is brought before Samuel and David is anointed king. Now we have Saul. Saul, God sent a spirit to torment Saul, to torment Saul. And so when Saul is being tormented by the spirit, he calls for help. And who is sent to play for him but David? And David plays for him his harp. And while David is playing on the harp, Saul is soothed and Saul is, is experiencing peace. But in all of this, th something happened. Now we fast forward and Goliath is, is provoking the people. And David comes with a delivery from his father, a package of bread and cheese to his brothers. And he hears Goliath ranting on the people. 
And he says, hey, what, what will be given to the man who, 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 ca who, who captures him? What will be given to the man who takes him down? And fast forward again, David accomplishes through the power of God. He slays Goliath and the people get to praising. Wow, look at David. And when Saul heard the praises being sung about David, because Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his ten thousands. Saul became what? Jealous. And when jealous entered into Saul's heart, where there is envy, there's all sorts of evil. When jealousy enters into Saul's heart, what does God do? He allows a spirit to come upon Saul. And what did Saul want to do? He was then in pursuit of David. He wanted to kill David. And what did David do? David remained meek. David did not fret himself. According to Psalm 37, verse 1, it says that he did not fret himself because of, it, it says this, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. David didn't allow himself to get worried about what Saul was doing, although he had fled from him. He didn't, he didn't, Park there and focus on it. What did he do? Rather, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. David walked in meekness. David did not allow Saul's pursuit to scare him off. David in this crucible, under this wrongful attack, here he had done so much good for Saul in slaying the giant that was coming after his people, in being that soothing heart player. And yet now, just because the people said good about him, he couldn't handle, Saul just couldn't handle a little bit of praise going to David. Now Saul wants to kill David, but David remains meek. And he focuses on God. And it just so happens that David and his men are in the wilderness, and they have gathered in a cave. And it just so happens that Saul comes to that same cave and uses it as his washroom. And while he's there, David's men say, look, God has put him in your hand. And instead of David killing Saul, he just takes a portion of his garment. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Trust in him. David could have slayed Saul in that moment. But David says, no, I am not going to touch the anointed of God. 1 Samuel 24, verses 10 and 17. His, David's men said to him this, Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you. But I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Even though David knew he was in line to be the next king, he didn't try to help God along. In meekness, he committed his ways to the Lord. He trusted in God to act. He trusted in God to do what was his plan. And he says this, 
He said to David, uh, Saul, verse 17, he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Like Aaron, in this moment, Saul's repenting, I sinned. Because I'm looking to take your life. I've repaid you with evil. For all the good that you have done, I've repaid you with evil. Psalm 37, verse 8 says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. In that moment, if David had listened to his men, he would have taken Saul's life. Oh, but the story doesn't end. Saul continues to pursue David, even though David said, I could have taken your life. Here's a piece of your robe to prove it. Saul continues And then they are in a camp, and there is Saul asleep, and his sword is right there. And David, one of the men, wants, let me just put the sword through him. Let me just take care of it for you, David. And what does David say in 1 Samuel 26, verses 9 to 11? No, David said, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed, but take a spear and that jug of water beside his head, and let's get out of here. David has a plan. David has a plan. And so what happens as the plan unveils later on in verse 23, it says, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation then Saul said to David blessed be you my son David you will do many things and will succeed in them so David went his way and Saul returned to his place how do you respond in that moment when somebody has done you harm the the focus has been on on our response when harm is brought against us the focus has been how how do you respond when you are disappointed but you could take the same matter of response to any situation and we look at psalm 37 for the answer Psalm 37, verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. This is how one is weak, Uh, meek, I'm sorry. This is how one is meek before the Lord. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, verse 1. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Why? Because verse 40 of Psalm 37 says, The Lord helps them and delivers them, and he delivers them from the wicked and saves them because he takes refuge in him. 
when you're in that hot fire, when, it, when the temperature is getting hotter and you are that crucible in the fire, don't fret. Don't say it's getting hot in here. Doesn't anybody see how hot it is? Don't fret, God, what's going to happen to me? Trust in the Lord. Stay tight. But God, what if this gets the best of me? Delight yourself in the Lord. Lord, I just surrender myself to you. As you surrendered yourself on the cross, Lord, I surrender myself to you. Commit your way to the Lord. Lord, I don't understand this situation that I'm facing. I don't understand why everything is closing in and feeling like it's raging in on me. But I'm going to commit my way to you. And then what? Be still. Be still and wait patiently for him. Don't get angry. That's the hardest part because that's the first thing we do. We want to get upset. We want to get angry. Why does it always happen, have to happen to me? Why, why is this always the end result of everything? No, instead, remember, he helps and delivers those that put their trust in him. He will see you through. And on the other side of this fire, he will see you through to come forth as pure gold. To come forth as pure gold. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That when you stand before him, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom of your reward. Not as Moses. Now Moses, go on this mountain. This you will die. But Canaan you will not see. May we walk in meekness. Don't lose hope when life's disappointments become your fire. Don't lose hope when the disappointments of life become your fire. But instead, through that fire, know this you will be proven as pure gold. You will be proven as pure gold. It's how you surrender in the fire. It's how you surrender. Father God, we thank you tonight. Lord, we know that no one likes to be in the heat of the fire. And Lord, I raise my hand first to acknowledge that it's the heat of the fire that makes it most difficult. But Lord, in all things, we put our trust in you because Lord, you are refining us and you are perfecting us. So God, help us. Help us in the midst of it all to shine forth the character of Christ, the character of your son, Jesus, who through it all, remain faithful and lord it's your son who encourages us to take his yoke upon us to take his yoke to to follow his example and so jesus we look to you our refiner purify us in jesus mighty name amen
welcome you uh, back Sunday morning for those that are watching online. God bless you and be with you. And uh, we will see you here Sunday morning at 10 a.m. If not in person, we hope that for sure you will join, it, join us online. God bless you. prayer. Uh, we just want to remember Pastor Dino and, and Pastor Nadia as his mom did pass away and she is now in, in her place of eternal rest. You know, we thank God and we praise God when, 